Pod. I'm Chris Hewitt and welcome to the latest in our series of Spoilers special podcasts. This one is dedicated to the artist formerly known as B24, a.k.a. Spectre, the 24th James Bond movie. And here to discuss its ins, outs, twists and turns and gadgets over the next hour or so are a man with Bond coursing through his veins... It's the Incredible Suit, a.k.a. Neil Alcock. Hello, sir. How are you? Hello, I'm very well, thank you. Excellent. Uh, just establish credentials for people who are listening to this. You're a massive Bond fan. Yeah. And, in fact, we're on set for the Mexico City portion. That's right. Inspector. I was there in Mexico. I watched all kinds of shit go down. From a distance. Yeah, from a, quite a distance. <laughs> but I had binoculars, so it was okay. Okay. Uh, next up is a man with smart blood running through his veins. It's Dan Jolin. Hello, Dan. And my arteries and capillaries. Indeed. Uh, Dan, you've been on set of how many Bond films now? But not Spectre. No, yeah, you weren't I, set of Spectre. I, I was, you yes. Uh, Spectre. The Spectre was my third Bond film. I think everybody, actually, in this pod was on the set of Spectre. Everyone in this pod was on the um, set of Spectre, which is why they've been assembled. Yep. I, didn't yep. Just, I don't just throw this shit together, you know? Yep. <laughs> um, so, yeah, no, I did Die Another Day <laughs> back in the day. Yeah, yeah. Um, which was really good fun. Okay, <clears throat> good. <laughs> Till I saw the film. Uh, yes, I did Skyfall. Okay, good. And uh, I was—I saw a small portion of Spectre, which was 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 part of my uh, research for my Chris Corbold feature that was in the Sam Mendes guest edit. Cool, that's and bold. I saw—I wasn't in Mexico City, but I saw the building collapse. We will talk about that later. Yeah, we will talk about that later. And next up, a man whose love of gadgets is as deep and profound as his love of Czechoslovakian documentaries about lumberjacks. It's our art house guru, Mr. Phil Dissemblian. How are you? Very well, thank you, Chris. You were on set for what bit? I was on set in Austria, in the Alps, in um, Obertiliac. Oh. For the bit with all the snow. Oberhauser Tiliac. Yes. I went out utterly ill-equipped for the conditions. <laughs> Did you not take your Oberhauser over-trousers? I didn't take my over-trousers. <laughs> Sloppy. My over-trousers. <laughs> no, I didn't. I, I barely took any clothes at all. It was a mistake. <laughs> I thought I'd just rock up in my pants. But luckily, they sorted me out with some um, big shout-out to the onset unit publicist. The only reason I'm here today... Uh, Emma, who uh, who very kindly sorted me out with some clobber. Um, <laughs> otherwise, you would have died. Otherwise, I genuinely would have died. Yeah, because I didn't, I hadn't put two and two together. It gets really cold in the mountains. Wow, good day That's, though. That is a good day. Heck of a day. That is a good day. I'm so glad you uh, you had exotic days uh, uh, in Mexico and Austria, guys. That's really good. Thanks. I was in Pinewood. Hooray! Pinewood. So was I. Home of Bond. <laughs> Home of Bond. No, it's great. It's the double seven stage, and it's fantastic. And I saw a big egg. Anyway. Oh, you saw the big, the big. Meteor Comment Yeah but we, we, we won't talk about Just in case well, I want to put a spoiler A disclaimer out here Before we get into things Because this is a spoiler special If this is your first Empire spoiler special Be warned We will talk about the movie In the most minute detail Including the ending So if you have not seen Spectre What are you doing? <laughs> Go to a cinema See Spectre And then come back here And listen to this So yes Now that they've done that Everyone who's dead Has seen the film Yes I saw I saw a whole bunch of stuff uh, I saw my last set visit because I was on a couple of times. My last set visit was unbeknownst to me, incredibly spoilerific. It was pretty much the end of the film. <laughs> there I was blithely writing about it in the Empire. It's the MI6 building that mm-hmm. gets blown up in Skyfall, and Bond's drawn there, as we all know, by Oberhauser. Just call him that for the time being. Okay. And then he, you know, he wends his way through and all that. And I was, I was writing about that. Going to the tour of the set. It's amazing to see all the stuff. It's all cool. All the pictures of people from Bond films past. I'm thinking, this is great. Then I start watching the film and I go, that, that scene has, I'm an hour in, that scene hasn't come up yet. <laughs> uh, okay, now I'm, I'm an hour and a half in, that scene hasn't come up yet. We're now two hours in, that scene hasn't come up. And I'm going, it's the end of the film, isn't it? 
I've just written about the end of the film. And like hundreds of thousands of people have just read about it and probably going, you spoiler bastard. You ruined it for me, Chris. Mm. I'm, you, I'm, I'm sorry about that film. You it's didn't, really you didn't ruin a thing, Chris. Thanks, you Dan. You didn't ruin a thing. Thank you very much. It indeed. was an engaging and involving description. Dan, that is very nice of you to say. This um, is a spoiler uh, special, not group therapy. <laughs> It's fine. Honestly, no one's complained about it. I'm just, I'm just worried. I was worried in my own mind. You're caught in complaints. It sounds like you want complaints. I so love complaints. Yes. Did, did I, have I also mentioned I gave Attack of the Clones five stars? Go on, bring it on. <coughs> bring on the complaints. Uh, right. Before we get into talking about the film in minute detail, as I mentioned, uh, let's hear now from the man who made... Spectre, Sam Mendes. I sat down with Sam the day after the first public screening of the film at the Odeon Leicester Square that we all went to, and he was in ebullient buzzing form. Uh, talked about a lot of the big spoilers in the film, so sit back, relax, and enjoy roughly 30 minutes, 30 minutes of the soothing sounds of Sam Mendes talking about Spectre. Uh, needless to say, I started with the biggest question posed by the movie. Uh, we're delighted to be joined on the Emperor Podcast by the director of Spectre, Mr. Sam Mendes. How are you, sir? I'm very well, thank you. <laughs> are you Glad tired? Are you uh, are you relieved that it's over? Or I am tired. I'm uh-huh. relieved. Um, a little blue, as you get when you finish something that you loved, and you know you worked on every second of every day for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. Um, I finished it on Saturday, and it is now Thursday. <laughs> you can do the math. <laughs> and not much sleep in between, I'm guessing. Not a lots great of, Last couple of days, a little bit better. Lots of talking to people like me. Um, we've talked a lot about this movie for Empire over the last few months. Yes, uh, but I had to dance around it, didn't I, You had Chris? to dance around it, and now we can dance upon it. <laughs> and hopefully not on its grave. <laughs> Precisely. Um, so I'm going to start with the big question I think everyone wants to know. Uh, is the Hildebrandt reference at the end uh, a reference to Hildebrandt rarity? Everyone wants to know that, right? <laughs> Everyone wants to know Not that one. Not just the three Bond nerds in the world that would get the reference. Yes, it is. Well spotted. Yeah. Yes, you get your gold star. <laughs> is there anything else buried in there that we may oh, have God. missed? Uh, you may have missed. Mm. I think you probably wouldn't have missed it. That's the thing. So I, I, I don't know. I'm sure there are, actually. There's a few little bits and pieces knocking around. So let's talk about some of the uh, the, the big issues, get them out of the way, because we don't have a, a huge amount right. of time. Uh, first of all, is this Daniel's swan song? Is that well, how you... Why are you asking me? It feels, <laughs> it feels that way. It feels... Well, look, I mean, I think it's... Uh, put it this way. If he chooses to sign off with this movie, mm-hmm. he has done it with style. Mm-hmm. And he has walked away within the body of the movie. Mm-hmm. And that was something I was particularly concerned to do. I was concerned to do two things, to, and as you suspected, and I think I told you, and you very um, kindly didn't put it in Empire uh, last month, but I wanted two big narrative things. I wanted, well, three, really. I wanted to tie up all of Daniel's movies in, mm-hmm. into this last film in some way. I wanted to, and, and with it, convey that there had been one figure behind everything that had happened to him over the last three pictures. And I wanted him to decide to leave at the end okay and uh, i think that tied into that clearly was you know the debate the ongoing debate as to whether he himself as an actor would return to do another bond movie and if he didn't this was a great way to walk away Mm -hmm. however that decision can only be made by him you know it's clearly possible that he could come back it's you know he just have gone off on holiday at the end if you want to read it like that (laughs) but for me when he turns around and says i've got something better to do yes he means it Yes, it'd be interesting to see whether Bond could uh, could function 
in normal life, knowing there's a world out there that needs saving. Yeah, what do or, you think he makes for for supper at night? You know, yeah. that was one of the big debates when we when we, we created Bonds Flat. You know, in the mm. movie, is that you know, well, how much domestic life is there in here? Yeah, I mean, gonna, one of my favourite lines of the movie is uh, you know is when Money Penny says, oh, you know, I like what you've done with the place. <laughs> have you just mo- have you just moved in? <laughs> and he says, no. She says, well, I like what you've done with the place. It's, it, it, you know, it's a few boxes knocking around. That's basically it. We notice he does have quite a big TV. He's a big TV. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, he likes his movies, obviously. <laughs> Indeed. And uh, <laughs> at the end of the movie, he drives off into the sunset with Madeline. Um, it's interesting. I mean, obviously, you're not going to uh, you're not going to kill Bond. You're not going to definitively rule out a return. But what is interesting about this movie is that the the villain is still knocking. He's still around at the end of the movie. And we'll talk about the identity of that villain in, in a second. Yeah. But uh, was that a deliberate choice? It's the first time I can remember a Bond bad guy the possible exception of Jaws surviving yes. a movie. Of course it was deliberate. I, it was deliberate because I think that you... It, it, look, it's a very... It was, it was a subject of much debate amongst us. Um, and I felt very, very strongly always that Bond at some point has... To, that, that, that he has to win and not kill him. But mm-hmm. he has to clearly win. Mm-hmm. Um, he has to take the moral high ground. And that a character like the character that Christoph plays mm-hmm. is going to be more punished by being known and locked up than by being killed. Mm-hmm. Um, so in a way, I, I hope the punishment is greater than just you know the death. But I, I wanted to build the whole movie to a point where Bond has to make a decision mm-hmm. um, between the gun on the one hand and the heart on the other. And that's what happens. Well, there's M's line early in the film as well. Uh, it's not just a license to kill; exactly. it's a license not to kill. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's very important. I mean, there's a so there there is you know, and I also thought there was a great irony in it. You know, look, it's a movie about a man who kills people for a living. He says that himself. Mm-hmm. You know, I kill people. Uh, it's not the sort of thing you write on a form. It looks good on a form, <laughs> he says. You know, and um, and. Uh, and and it, and it's building to a moment where he decides not to kill someone, and mm-hmm. I think that that's you know of course it's deliberate and it's sewn into the fabric of the film in a way. Um, the, the danger is that that you might get trapped in a situation where you're going to you're going to leave the audience unsatisfied at mm-hmm. the end if if that doesn't happen. But I hope that hasn't happened, and I hope that they walk. You know, you feel very satisfied. You you know that he's walked away, um, job done. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you're also thinking but that villain could come back. And of course, that is something I'm very proud of. I feel like if I were to, you know, to, to say goodbye now to the franchise, which is likely, mm-hmm. that I've left them with a great M, a great Q, a great Money Penny, a great Tanner, a great supervillain, and also a great henchman, who, frankly, could also come back. <laughs> it's true, we don't definitively see don't see Mr. Hinks. And we all know that those guys have a way of cropping up, don't they? <laughs> so, you know, all they have to do is make sure they've got someone playing Bond and they can go off again. He just falls into a soft pit of sand and... Yeah, he just and, rolled a bit. He's, he's fine. Glad. He's fine. The last time, the last time Bond met uh, Christoph's character on screen wasn't for your eyes only. He dropped him down a chimney. Was there any <laughs> any conversations about him doing that uh, this time around? No, but Hoyter, Hoyt Van Hoytema, who's who's the cinematographer, 
had a great impersonation of, of Gert Frobe when he says, did he say, I'm ready to make a deal, Mr. Bond, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Let's make a deal. <laughs> As he's dangling from a plane or wherever they are. Absolutely. I can't even remember now. Yeah, it's, yeah it's at the end of uh, at the beginning of the four years only. Absolutely. He should have done that. Indeed. So we so um, of that one. Let's, let's, talk about, let's talk about the B word. Which we do. Yes, which we, 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 we can talk about it now. When did Blofeld first come up in conversation about this movie? Relatively early on. I mean, I think that, you know, we obviously the whole Kevin McClory, um, you know, the rights to the name Blofeld uh, became cleared. I think that was the big thing they'd been fighting over. I mean, I was unaware actually when we were making Skyfall that they had been tussling over these, these particular rights for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I we talked about it on the last movie actually whether it was worth it or even possible um and i i i'd always just loved the idea but couldn't work out how to make it something more than a character turning up with the name blofeld you know yeah. to somehow give it some resonance and uh, make it some kind of surprise and tease it and and allow it to emerge out of the narrative in a way that felt fun. Mm-hmm. It was a very uh, interesting and conscious decision that you guys took to uh, to dangle Oberhauser as a yeah. sort of a, a bluff, if you will. Uh, can you talk about that decision as well to not reveal Christoph as, as Blofeld well, right from the off? I, I think I said it. I think I said it pretty well. You know, when, when we talked the last time, mm-hmm. I think it's you know you, you watching a detective story. You don't want to know the name of the murderer. I mean, you 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 know there is something that if it emerges to the character uh, during the course of the movie, if the character doesn't start off knowing that that's who who they're dealing with, then why should the audience? Mm-hmm. And I think had we decided to introduce Blofeld in another way, had he arrived in you know, scene one with the name Blofeld, mm-hmm. I would have said he's playing Ernst Stavro Blofeld you know, in the press conference. But because Bond doesn't know that at the beginning of the story, mm-hmm. I think it's absolutely wrong. The audience does, um, you know, and I think you have to preserve some of the secrets of a movie for to 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 to, to preserve an audience's enjoyment. And I'm not talking about hardcore uh, Bond fans. I'm talking about the general public. You know, I'm not talking about people who are trying to uh, 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 reading every you know online review of the trailer or you know uh, are, are are in the heart of the debate, mm. as it were. I'm talking about you know people who know their Bond a bit and have seen Bond over the years. but And and I was convinced that we did the right thing when we previewed the movie and we previewed it to 200 people. And I said, did you feel cheated? Did you feel you should have been told? And they were like, no, it was it was fantastic. You mm. know, um, the moment we saw the cat, we thought, oh, it's coming, it's coming. And then it came and <laughs> it came when you wanted it to and it upped the ante and the stakes shifted in the scene and, uh-huh. and you suddenly started working. And then, of course... You see how he got the scar. You see how he got, he lost his eye, how how it happened. And it's Bond who's done it. So you you set up a, crea- in a way, it's a Blofeld creation story. Yeah. And that was very important to me too, that you didn't just announce him and, and you know, uh, and perhaps next time you meet him, he might have shaved his hair off you. You've got the full <laughs> set. You never know. Did you get a certain kick out of the world and his wife, presuming that Christoph was Blofeld from the off? I- I didn't get any kick out of it. I was hoping that they weren't going to assume it only because I wanted it to be a lovely surprise. Yeah. I, 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 but I mean, I, you know, I, then you're forced into playing kind of, a, you know, endless game of cat and mouse where you have to, you can't confirm and you can't deny, <laughs> you know, so it, it's, it's exhausting, frankly. It would have been much easier to go, yes, he's playing Blofeld. <laughs> you know, yes, yes, ruin the movie for yourselves. Why don't you? 
you know, just get on with it. Yeah, but I just, you know, call me an innocent, Chris, but I just had to stick it out relentlessly. But it's amazing watching you say you, you try and tie yourself in knots to not confirm, but not deny. It's exactly. fine. Um, so in terms of Lofeld and the, this this going back to Bond's past and retconning Bond's past uh, in a way with the, uh, the Oberhauser connection, when did that come about, the idea that you were going to mine? Oh, that was very early on. I mean, I think that, you know, once I dis... Once we'd gone back to Bond's childhood in Skyfall, I was fascinated to sort of seek out all the other references to what happened next. And the truth is there are very, very few. Yeah. Because he gets brought up by his aunt, but he gets sent away to during summers or winters. I can't remember which holiday it was in the Fleming to spend time with Hans Oberhauser in, in the Alps, in the Austrian Alps. And it says something very noncommittal, like he was a father figure to me. Bond says this in one of the novels. I can't remember which one. He was a father figure to me at a time when I happened to need one. Mm-hmm. That's what he says. That's mm-hmm. it. And that was the clue we had. And so that's what we took. What if there was a natural child mm-hmm. who had been pushed out, cuckoo in the nest, uh, <laughs> by, by the by the blue-eyed, good-looking, you know, talented skier, good climber, you know, and he was a sort of feeble little weakling, you know, mm-hmm. doing his homework in the upstairs. In the, in the, you know, and that, that sort of figure... You know, that felt like somebody I wanted to, whose story I wanted to know. There was a sense that maybe as, uh, although they don't seem to spend a lot of time together in their childhoods, that perhaps Bond was, as you said, the cuckoo in the nest, but perhaps there were, there were towel fights. Perhaps there was a bit of bullying going on with, between Bond and, uh, and France. Towel fights? Towel, yeah, flicking him with I a towel. I think that's more about your childhood. I'm not sure I really want to go into that. I think I've illuminated myself psychologically here. I don't know. Um, another big question everybody wants to know. Uh, Everyone in the office is asking this. Uh, does Blofeld's cat survive the explosion? Of course. Otherwise, the animal rights people will be on to me. Yeah, it's fine. It doesn't even get a singe. No, it's gone outside. It's just it's doing its business outside. <laughs> what I found was really interesting about the the reveal was uh, we talked about the uh, the Star Trek of the Darkness reveal with John yeah. Harrison and Khan a couple of years ago, and that was given a big dramatic build up, and the camera pushes in and Benedict Cumberbatch's face as he announces, mm. "I am Khan." Mm. This this reveal is offhand. It's almost thrown away in a way. Can you talk about that that, that decision? Oh, it's just so much cooler, isn't it? <laughs> to just be like, you know, I think Christoph is the opposite of the moustache twirler. You know what I mean? He's not someone who's given to those melodramatic reveals, but it just seems so appropriate that he would say it in passing. Mm. And, you know, Bond's response, which is, you yeah, know, catchy name, <laughs> yeah. always made me chuckle. Uh, you know, one of the things you learn when you do, when you do classical theatre is, you know, when you've got a famous line, it's often better to uh, throw it away um, okay. than to deliver it as if it's a famous line, you know, and, and, uh, or to find a way of, of treating it as part of a scene, yeah. um, a, part of a, a part of a character's arc rather than just a line, the standalone line, a moment, you know. I'm a bit suspicious of the moment um, mm. imposed you know, with, the, with the, the camera and everything pointing mm. at it. Again, that would be one of those situations where if you did push in, and there was a big reveal. It's almost one of those situations where you, you'd be doing that because it would mean more to the audience than it would to Bond, who's never heard of Blofeld. Quite. So, Quite. Yeah. That was that was what I meant. <laughs> <laughs> I do a great impression of you. I can I can I can do that <laughs> Just answer. Say it in my voice. It's all good. Um, the movie starts with perhaps the greatest shot. In fact, not even perhaps. Not to crawl up your backside, but the greatest shot in Bond history. Um, how long? Yes. How long is that shot? Get in. <laughs> That's the result. Okay. <laughs> how, how long is that shot, by the way? Can I put that in quotation marks? Of course you can. You can put it in the poster. Excellent. The shot, I think it's about four and a half minutes, maybe. Uh-huh. 
I wasn't allowed to time it because they took my phone off me. Um, but it's a fantastic shot. How many shots? Is it composed of several it, it's different shots? Four and shots more together. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I hate to say that because I, of course, don't want to break the illusion. And I, I challenge you to spot a couple of them. But <laughs> one of them is, I think, fairly straightforward. But obviously, in the planning and it, and it, and in the preparation, it was a, a large amount of time. But in the shooting, it wasn't actually that long. Um, however, it does move from Mexico to Pinewood and back uh, <laughs> because there were certain things that I needed to do on the stage. I could only do on stage at Pinewood. I mean, it, it was something that I had in my mind very early on. But, you know, it was also partly that one of the things I felt I could have done better in Skyfall was the first 10 minutes. Okay. You know, I'm very proud of the movie, very, very proud of the movie and e- equally proud of, of this one. But so I, I, they're apples and oranges, you know, the different films. But I did feel like, you know, there was a sort of slightly frenetic uh, thing that kicks in when you're trying to sort of just say action, action, action all the time. It's, it was a per, it was a chase, and it didn't have any shifts of rhythm mm-hmm. in the first ten minutes of Skyfall. And also, it leapt distances because it was it was parallel action. So you were cutting back to London, you're cutting to Money Penny, and then you're cutting back to Bond. So you went from car to feet to bike, yeah. to motorbike to train, and you travelled across long distances. Right, but in Mexico, I wanted to be ten minutes real time, and I wanted the audience to feel like they were in his shoes, in Bond's shoes. And so I felt it was, it was one of those things that it, it hopefully draws the audience in, it lures you, it, it lulls you, it, it puts you in the rhythm of the music, in the rhythm of the crowd, in the rhythm of even Bond's footsteps, and then the whole thing explodes literally, mm. um, and then it's a, it's a gunfight, it's a building collapse around him, it's a, it's a. It's a, it's a race through the streets. It's got source music. It's woven in. It, it, there's long periods where there's source. There's long, long periods where there's no music. Uh, and then it, it culminates in a helicopter fight, that, the first half of which is unscored. Mm-hmm. So it isn't that sort of feeling of a similar rhythm and a relentless score. It, it shifts rhythm several times within the first 10 minutes. It uses the freedom that you get in a Bond movie mm-hmm. to not have to tell the audience what the story is for 10 minutes. Yeah. Because you know your central character and you know he's somewhere extraordinary. It says Mexico City, here we are. But you don't, you don't need to tell them anything else, nothing else. You know, you just have to let them immerse themselves and, and walk alongside him if you can. And, and uh, so in that respect, I'm really, I'm really proud of the sequence. It is what I meant, and, it, and I'm much more pleased with it than I was with the equivalent section of Skyfall. Last year we did a, a feature on the greatest uh, cinematographers and the greatest shots of all time, and we canvassed a, a huge number of cinematographers for the greatest shots, the favourite shots of all time. A lot of them said the opening five minutes of I Am Cuba. Uh, was that an influence on, on that no, shot? No, it, it wasn't. I mean, I thought more about Touch of Evil. Um, okay. I thought about, you know, the inevitable uh, Goodfellas moment. Uh, although, you know, that's such a, a brilliant shifting of... Uh, of I mean, the journey of the Steadicam in that in that uh, scene is so spectacular. But you know, now these days, in a way, I mean, you could argue Birdman is the greatest shot of all time because it's the entire movie. <laughs> I mean, you know, how do you define shot? You know, it's it's kind of so. You know, Good I feel point. like four and a half minutes of child's play, really. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Good point. Oh, we've got a, only a couple of minutes left here, Sam. So I'm going to race through some uh, ones with you now. Uh, the return, the very brief return of Judy Dench. Yes, uh, is the secret message from Bond's past, which was in the synopsis and uh, right from the off. 
Can you talk very uh, quickly about the decision to to bring Judy back for that and what M her M is not that M's knowledge of was of Spectre and of Blofeld is she aware of that of that organisation? Yeah, she's I think known. I mean, we, again, we debated a lot about how much she should say about this, but she's known. There was there was she suspected there was one person behind all of it. I think for a while, um, but knew that the only way she could give it to Bond was as a sort of um, paper chase, you know. If you tip that domino, the, the rest of them might fall over. Mm. So go get that man, kill him, go to the funeral and see what you find. Um, and it's a big difference. I mean, you know, we, we debated whether Judy should say, don't miss the funeral. You might be surprised who you will meet there. And we decided in the end she didn't need to even say that. Just don't miss the funeral. It was a very Judy-like uh, haiku message. <laughs> um, and then we debated whether it should be written or whether she, you should see her. And I just thought, well, the impact of seeing her face and hearing her voice when you don't expect it and the memories it brings back and enabled me to underscore it with some of the music that accompanied her in Skyfall Mm -hmm. and call back a whole little world um, of memories from that last movie. So for me, I'm, I'm, I'm really pleased we did that. 009 is referenced. (laughs) Poor bastards. (laughs) Yeah. Who have I cast as 009? My head. I I know who 009 is. It's the truth. Okay. Yeah. Can you say? I, I can, I can, I can mouth it to you. And then, and then you can lay a series of a trail of clues. <laughs> but in my head, it's ah oh, okay, yeah. yeah, okay, yeah. That's okay. who I see. All right, yeah. That's an interesting. You'll never know. Ladies You'll and never gentlemen. know. I, I know. I know. Uh, an interesting spin-off is in the works. Um, at one point, we see Money Penny uh, has a boyfriend. Yes, uh, but we don't see his face. Correct. Again, what was the reasoning behind that? I mean, I shot. I shot his face. I didn't show it because I felt I wanted it to be just a bit more mysterious and it wasn't really about that and I didn't want that confu- that added confusion it's not it's not sort of secret and somebody at one point said is that is that Andrew Scott in bed with me yeah yeah. No. Yeah. I think there was a there was a couple of uh, a couple of people thought that as well really? until the next shot when you see Andrew Scott is in Tokyo. Yeah. Yeah, so clearly not. It's clearly not him. Clearly not him. Absolutely. He does have black hair. Absolutely. But Andrew Scott uh, as Max Denby, Blofeld yes. Acolyte. Yes. Um, how did that character evolve? Well, it evolved at one point. You know, he was even more. It, it, it actually, it, there, was a, there was a long period in the script where, and this is months, months before we started, where it actually flipped and turned out that he was the person who was running the show. Okay. Um, and the person that Bond had been looking for all along. Uh, but it, it Which just, isn't to say he was Blofeld. He was a different. He was still was Blofeld yeah. still. Blofeld. Blofeld didn't feature in that version of okay. the story. Okay. I think I think that was what it was. It was a long time ago now. He was a very easy figure to find parallels for in the contemporary political world because there are many such figures who argue, and look, you know, not all of them, you know, deserve death by. <laughs> Ray Fiennes from a great height, so I won't. I won't be. Please don't quote me as saying that I'm. I'm. I'm all in favour of, of 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 you know, uh, killing the head of MI5. Um, but uh, the argument he dramatises, uh, makes concrete the argument that it's better to uh, operate through drones and surveillance mm-hmm. and not put men on the ground, not endanger innocent lives mm-hmm. or our own innocent lives. And in a sense, he was essential in a world where MI6 and MI5 are no longer accepted as the good guys, but the public has a more ambivalent relationship with mm-hmm. the security services. 
it was essential that we dramatised that aspect of it through a character that wasn't Bond, so we could set Bond and M up as, within that world, the good guys. I mean, that's being very crude about it, but it's it's true. So, in a way, C embodies all the things I most dislike, personally, about security services. Uh, the obsessive need for surveillance, the sharing of surveillance between international security organisations, the fact that they are immensely powerful, unelected, and almost entirely unknown to us and the fact that you know the drone warfare is encouraged uh, and and that you know m has a very good speech i think about this where he says mm. to kill a man you have to look him in the eye and the license to kill is also a license not to kill yeah and all the bugs drone surveillance you know all the surveillance in the world can't make up for the fact that you know and that that picks up something that q says to bond in the in and bond says back in in skyfall q says you know i I, I venture I can do more damage on my laptop before my first cup of Earl Grey yeah. than you can do in a year in the field. And Bond says, well, then why do you need me? And Q says, well, sometimes a trigger has to be pulled. And Bond Absolutely. says, or not pulled. Yeah. It's hard to know which. In your pyjamas. I forgot that <laughs> um, Absolutely. And, and of course, uh, it leads to uh, a line which absolutely killed last night. M's, now I know what C stands for. <laughs> Was there a lot of discussion about that line keeping it in and pushing the boundaries I mean with that there was no discussion <laughs> once Rave saw it you know, I wasn't going to be able to prize it out of his fingers <laughs> yeah. um, Q does a lot more as well obviously we know you and I both know it stands for cat <laughs> that's why I got the laugh so absolutely I'm missing yeah, something. that's it that's it um <laughs> Q gets a lot more to do this time as well. He's out in the field. There's a there's a moment where he uh, analyzes the Spectre ring yeah. and sees it has DNA yeah. on it from. Uh, I, we presume it's previous wearers. Is that is that the? Well, initially the he's analyzing fingerprints, yes, and that d- DNA from fingerprints. But then he's he, then it's toxicology reports. It's, okay. it's basically it's basically he's analyzing the post mortems of various dead bodies and finding traces of a very rare substance. Mm-hmm. Iridium, I believe it's called, in all the corpses of the people that have that Bond has been involved with over the last three. So they've all worn the rings mm-hmm. at some point, and so that is the thing that he—that's uh, what makes him convinced they're all linked. Okay, okay. Because you can't tell that unless you freeze frame on on those those graphics, but it, it does make sense. And what's interesting is that you know. It was one of the things you realise is, is it's, it's all about what the audience knows already in the movie. The audience knows Oberhauser is still alive. Yeah. So there's no sense in spending time watching Q discover that Oberhauser, guess what, is still alive. You know, you just have to you just have to believe that he knows how to do that, and that he's found the solution. Um, and I feel like you see just enough to, to believe it. And the, the film's very interesting in terms of it. It has lots of references to Bond films past uh, and other films as well. I love the Lawrence of Arabia nod. Yeah, it's um, very nice. We were wondering if it might take eight minutes for the car to right. arrive. Well, I could have had Omar Sharif step out of the, the car, except he's no longer with us. Absolutely. But um, the, the, uh, it actually is not, it's light on gadgets, I, I would say, which is, a, again, a, a deliberate decision. Uh, yeah, I've never decision. been. Yeah. I mean, you know, and it's deliberate, of course, that, you know, the gadgets in the car. Some of them work and some of them don't, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but I think that that's part of the fun. You're finding out about it with Bond. Um, mm. But I think, crucially, the whole story does actually pivot on a single gadget. Mm-hmm. It pivots on an exploding watch. Yeah. Because without that, Bond would be, no question, would be gone. And it's something that Q gives him almost in an offhand way at the beginning. Mm-hmm. And says very likely, oh, by the way, you know, look out for the alarm. It's a little loud. Mm-hmm. 
if you know what I mean. And uh, and that's all that's said. Mm -hmm. So I, I did embrace that part of it. Gadgets are tricky because unless they really do something significant in the story, what a gadget meant in 1975, it, you know, when you can walk into the Apple store and buy almost any gadget you can possibly imagine, <laughs> they do not mean in the year 2015, I'm afraid. Yeah. It's just not, it's just, you know, it, it, you, you really sit there and think and think and there's almost nothing you can imagine mm. that is going to have that, which is why, you know, that, 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 that thrill, which is why in the end it's weaponry. Um, to be honest with you, um, mostly. Hmm. But what's interesting is that there is a gadget of sorts in the film, which is the idea of smart blood using nanotechnology yeah. to track Bond uh, around the world. Yeah. How realistic is that? Would it? I think that's, that's not far off, actually. Yeah. I have to say. I mean, I think computer chips in the bloodstream, as, as you know, Q uses layman's terms to talk to Bond about it and says, look, it's computer chips in the bloodstream. And you see a little graphic of them flooding into the bloodstream. And, and uh, you know that that I think is really not far off. I mean, I think your tiny little microtransmitters and things that are re, that are rebalancing your body from the inside and replacing mm -hmm. things that your body may be lacking, particularly for uh, you know all sorts of diseases. That seems yeah. to be biotechnology seems to be the way forward in terms of the ways that computer can, computers can 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 healthily interact and, and mm -hmm. improve the lives of human beings. That that seems to be the way forward. So now I, my minimal, and I mean minimal knowledge of that, you know, I was able to sort of try and squeeze in. At one point, the the significance of that um, cue observing what Bond was going through by studying his vital statistics based on the smart blood okay. was a more significant part of the story. But gradually that seemed less interesting and also involved having to cut back to London which at certain points we didn't want to do okay okay and uh, it, it ties in again to that idea of surveillance yes, and the yes. dangers of surveillance you're being watched from inside yeah, yeah. and there's, there's uh, several thematic preoccupations in the film as well one of which is uh, fathers and the impact of fathers and I thought yeah. it was very interesting that you, you line up Bond and Blofeld who shared a father however briefly both reacted to him in very very different ways and were both inspired by him in very different ways and then there's Madeline who has a, a, a very complicated relationship with her own father yeah as well. absolutely right and and i think that i mean I'm, I'm glad you say that because for me the last movie was about mothers i mean mm -hmm. it was about two sons fighting over a mother i mean mm -hmm. ultimately silver and bond you know the the chosen son and the rejected son you know fighting over over judy's m you know that that was in many ways the sort of family story of the movie and then the fact that bond had lost his own parents his own mother and there was a gravestone you know and the first conversation about him being an orphan with her by the roadside all of that was tied in and here it's all about fathers mm. it's about her father it's about his surrogate father and it's about Christoph's father and and, and, and I that was a very deliberate uh, uh, decision mm, absolutely and uh, are you done you said you, you you're probably done but you said that last time as well. I did I did <laughs> and it was a load of tosh wasn't it so I, I, I wouldn't believe a word I say um, no I, I think that you know what I realised last time is there is literally no way to make any sort of clear-headed decision you know, this close to finishing the movie because you, you're just too close to it and you can't imagine another version of the story. But I I, I, I do doubt it. I, I think that, you know, I felt really, I'm really, really proud of, of, of this movie, but, you know, it's it's um, five years of my life on, on, yeah. on this this franchise and this, this world with these characters. It's a long time. And, and I think the only reason 
you know, to move on is, is not a negative, not that I'm bored of it or I, you know, don't want to do it anymore, but that I have other stories I'd rather tell as a filmmaker. And I think that's the more likely and that's the more realistic version of, of what's going to happen is that there's that I fall in love with, with another story that I want to tell that's completely different. Do you have anything lined up? No, not a thing. But that's because I haven't had time to, you know, <laughs> barely time to go to the bathroom, Chris, let alone read scripts. <laughs> Or even, God forbid, a book. What are these strange things? <laughs> Do you not use an iPad to read books these days? It's uh, so much lighter. Have they been introduced since I started doing them? I believe they have. I'll tell you about them one day. Very uh, good. At the last exam, before I let you go, the biggest question of them all, I think everyone wants to know this. Uh, does M ever remember Money Penny's birthday? <laughs> Never. Not a chance. What sort of boss is no, he? No, no. I think she hopes every year that he will, but I'm afraid, no, he's just not that kind of a guy. See, there's a movie in that. But we love him anyway. That's Bond 25. Well, I think there's movies in all sides. I think there's Q spin-off, yeah. isn't there? You know, you've got the return of, uh, of, of, of Hinks, you know, you've got all sorts of things going on. Have conversations ever taken place? So if you've been part of those conversations, now we're in a situation where it's the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Oh my Universe God, they could spin DC. off all sorts yeah. of, well, not to mention they could do the Young Bond novels. Yeah. I think they feel like they, they need to put all their efforts into making every single movie a an event mm-hmm. and that if you if you water it down it starts getting less of an event and it should be special and I respect that decision I think that's very impressive and Barbara and Michael should be applauded for not endlessly trying to flog the same horse you know <laughs> not that I'm Indeed. making any comments on other filmmakers you understand Indeed. Sam it's been a pleasure thank pleasure, you so much pleasure thank you and that was Sam Mendes. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, a quick note, at one point, Mendes did talk about Blofeld in For Your Eyes Only. Uh, before you write in... I was, I'm halfway through writing. Yeah, he, he talks about Gert Froh, but I think one of the... Uh, I don't know if this... I think this isn't a quite an appealing thing, that Sam Mendes isn't a, a Bond fanboy, necessarily, Neil. He doesn't... He's not steeped in the lore, so he he would say things like Gert Froh, was Yeah, Blofeld. heaven forbid a, an actual Bond fan, a proper Bond fan made a Bond film. It would when just was, be terrible. If I made a Bond film, it would be awful. Do you think it would be terrible? It would just well, be f- yeah. fan I mean, service. And I wouldn't know what I was doing at all. Daniel Craig, topless. and There'd be a lot of that. Wait yeah. a minute. <laughs> Did you make the opening sequence? <laughs> <laughs> right, we're going to get into it. Anyway, so yes, so he was talking about, he, say, he said Gert Frobe uh, was Blofeld at the beginning of Four Years Only. Obviously, he meant uh, Robert Retty, who provided Blofeld's voice for that bit. And yes, I did Google it. Uh, you probably know that. Robert Retty did the voice of John Hollis, played, John Hollis played the character. There we go. You see? And he gets dropped down the chimney. Wow. Amazing. Off the top of your head, that was. Off the top of my head, I googled. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah, but Neil knew that stuff. M- may have why. googled it before the podcast. <laughs> really? Maybe. Really? Maybe. Oh, that's disappointing. A credible that's suit. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what we're going to do, instead of discussing the film in categories and whatnot, you've, you've sent in loads of questions and the f- tons of questions, more than I think we've had for any spoiler special before. And they bounce around a little bit and hopefully they'll touch upon major plot stuff that we can discuss in depth. The first one is from Matt Luker, a.k.a. Marzi Panic on the Twits. He says, however successfully it has been handled from film to film, Daniel Craig's Bond has had a very specific personal arc. What do you think a new post-Craig Bond could do to continue that level of emotional investment in a Bond film? Can we ever go back to two-dimensional spy saves the world stories again? If not, how do we keep Bond relevant and interesting without retreading the same ground? That's four questions in one. But we'll let him off. I don't think we should let him off. Okay. (laughs) That guy. Uh, Him. Who wants to start? Well, this rather implies that this is Daniel Craig's last Bond, Mm -hmm. which we're not 
yeah, 100% sure of. Mm. Uh, Sam Mendes made an interesting point, which is you can't even begin to think about whether you want to do another one until six months after you finish the last one, because it's just that, yeah. that all-consuming. It certainly l- looks like it's the last one from the ending, yeah. but then how involved was Daniel Craig in writing the ending? I'm not sure. Well, I think he's the first Bond to ever get a, a producing credit, uh, albeit co-producer, so... Yeah, you know, he, yeah. I, I, as, a, as an admission, but, you know, I spoke to him and Mendes a few months ago, he's fairly involved in the, in the story process. Mm. And even, I believe, wrote some dialogue and Quantum of Solace in a sort of ad hoc That's capacity. because it was like him and the guy from Craft Services. Yeah, were because the writing to. strike. But yeah, that's true. But I don't think he would have known at that point his, what his feelings for it were. He would have been rash to. He's been making all the right noises. About wanting to leave? Yeah. He's been making the noises that he wants to leave and the ending plays like that. But yeah. I don't yet know. And there might I feel be like s- he might have one more in him. Maybe, yeah, but there might I also be so. a sense that Mendes only did this film because he knew it was going to be Craig's last movie. I mean, that's just speculation. Well, it would be hard to imagine Craig doing one without Mendes now, but yeah. um, I think he's probably got one more in him. I think, you know, he's 47, 48 now, and I think you could do one at 50. I think that's not too old to be Bond, and I think the ending, as Sam said in that interview, is fairly open. You could have just gone on holiday, and maybe he'll come back. Yeah. I mean, they effectively kind of more recently rebooting every time a new Bond comes along anyway, right? I yes. mean, less, less so when it went from Connery, Lazenby, Connery, and then more of some little throwbacks. But more or less, you know, what's what's been happening with this particular Bond? They don't need to worry about continuing that, right? Yeah, but I think where they end this movie, and that's, uh, here we are right jumping right into the end of the film, where they end this movie, I think, means that they can't reboot because what they're doing, and as, as uh, Mendes said in the interview there himself, whoever takes over the next Bond, he's left him a great Q, uh, Moneypenny, M, Tanner, all sorts of stuff. But more importantly, a Blofeld. Mm. And Christoph Waltz is clearly meant to be a major piece still on the chessboard. Mm-hmm. So even if Daniel Craig doesn't do the next film, you'd imagine it would have to continue within the same continuity. Well, you say that Christoph Waltz would have to come back, but I would say not necessarily. Blofeld certainly has to come back, but, you know, recast we're, not, we're not beyond recasting Blofeld. Well, we're going to recast Bond. Why not recast Blofeld? Sure. It depends how much Christoph Waltz and what wants to come back, and then maybe vice versa as well. Yeah. I think it's a really clever ending. I think it's... Um, I really liked how Bond was effectively standing on Westminster Bridge having to choose between... Um, and the Houses of Parliament and all those government buildings on the one side and Madeline and the South Bank on the other side where all those crazy, cool, fun, groovy things happened. So yeah. that, I really like that kind of choice and I, and I thought the way that it finished was fairly open and I thought it's, it's open to either. I think you could carry on, mm-hmm. but you could start afresh. Yeah. Do you think there's, there's a, a, an element of the question here about the level of emotional investment in a Bond film? You know, they've made the Bond and Blofeld story very personal in this movie. What you, what's your take on that, and what do you think about keeping Blofeld alive at the end of the film? Well, it's the right thing to do, I think. Like, they kept the Joker alive at the end of The Dark Knight, mm-hmm. for example. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it always bugged me they killed the Joker at the end of the original Batman. You know, there's there's something more powerful about a villain. You know, Well, obviously there's something more powerful about a villain who survives because they're still alive. But it, it, it becomes a stronger character in retrospect, if you see what I mean, yeah, yeah, and and Blofeld's place in the you know in the Bond lore is obviously huge. Um, so it's you know it's good to know that he's as you said a chess piece that's still in play potentially. Yeah, yeah you could totally recast. I mean, did anyone actually play Blofeld more than once, Neil? Well, there was the 
in From Rush With Love and uh, Thunderball, where you don't actually see Blofeld's face. Mm. So it's irrelevant whether he was played by the same person or not. Okay. So after that, no. Yeah, I don't think. He, yeah, yeah. He sort of, he, you know, they actually made a plot point of him changing mm-hmm. his face. Sure. In Diamonds Are Forever, didn't yeah. they? Can it's, you recast uh, the cat? Is the big question. Well, you know, maybe the cat's the power behind the throne. But maybe that's a good idea. That would be a nice way to, to give that nod to Bond continuity, having a different Blofeld in every film. Or maybe just not using him at all in some films, and then now and again he comes back. But I think I think it's important that he's... I think it's a good thing that Blofeld is out there now and Spectre is out there now in Bond continuity. And we all know why it's the rights issue, and you know, mm-hmm. Mendes talked about that. And I think it's interesting that he wanted to use Blofeld for Skyfall. Mm. But... but couldn't because at that point the rights the issue with Kevin McClory and Thunderball and all that sort of stuff was was still in flux and once they resolved it I think that really they went full steam ahead for Spectre with Blofeld I think it's important that he's out there I'm not I like the film I think there's a lot of great things in the film I think Blofeld's one of the, the bum notes for me I think this version I don't think that he's given enough screen time uh, and I feel that Christoph Waltz is slightly phoning it in a little bit and I'd be interested to see what someone else can do with that next, in the next movie I thought the scene his introduction was fantastic that was that fantastic that was you know the way that he mm. came in and everyone was like mm. the, the, they were interrupted and then he's just this shadowy figure and yeah. he just he just has that real sort of the way he says what is it continue is that the line is that the word he uses I can't quite remember he's or carry on carry or something on. like yes. that mm. That, and when he delivers that, that line delivery is fantastic says, don't let me interrupt you yes that, that scene felt like the, the perfect melding of old and new Bond yeah. to me it was obviously a clear nod to those big Spectre meetings we've seen before where he's he plays almost exactly the same role beat by beat where he kind of lingers on the outskirts and then comes in and non-verbally communicates his power to the room um, and he knows where Bond is without you know just through extrasensory perception can him. he can smell his 007 <laughs> which is what you're wearing <laughs> I know where you are as well Neil um, and uh, he's heavily fragranced <laughs> Um, I love that scene. I thought there were there weren't enough of scenes of that caliber yeah, in, I, in in the in the movie. I was just going back to the ending. Uh, it's interesting for Bond to make that moral decision, and I think something that Sam you talked to Sam Mendes about quite a lot that he doesn't kill him. He has mm. the license not to kill, which is a reference to the M yeah. the M line. But at the same time, he's been through all of this, and and he knows that Spectre's out there. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, unlike Hydra, the head won't grow back. He has the opportunity to, to, you know, free himself from this puppet master almost bond. And he walks away from it knowing probably that he's going to, you know, he, he's got CCTV cameras in bloody MI6. He's going to be able to escape from, from uh, whatever jail they try and put him in pretty and, easily, you'd yeah. think. And Spectre and Blofeld can now be present from the very beginning of the next film rather than yes. kind of being teased and just appearing towards the end there. Or maybe he'll become a, um, a kind of Hannibal figure, a, a Hannibal Spectre, if you will. Oh, oh dear. Oh. Crikey. Oh. There's an interesting yeah. theory that, you know, this may lead into a On Her Majesty's Secret Service style opening where the Madeleine Swan and Bond romance is consummated in marriage and then she ends up falling victim to his next lot of revenge. Wow, he's now that, revenge. He's now got so many things. That to would make Daniel Craig's Bond really unlucky with. Women, uh, yeah, right? this, well, this is this relates back to the question. This is the problem with lumbering the character with all of this, all of this personal trauma, that it becomes you know you reach the point where you think you know should he be out fighting or should he be calling Frasier? It's a bit like <laughs> there's a lot going on there, and, and I I tend to feel like almost like 007 
genesis. There's there's too much. The more you know about Bond, well, in the sense that you know Arnie's character, the, the oh Genesis, sorry Genesis, oh, I see Genesis. <laughs> I've never heard it pronounced that way before. I was I was just kind of wondering what the hell is yeah. that word? The so Terminator you- Genesis removes all of the all of the sort of merit of that Arnie character, but by giving him all of this nonsense collection yeah. stuff. I'm not saying Bond goes that far, but over the last four movies, he has picked up a lot of baggage. And the more you know about Bond, I think the more he's sort of slightly emasculated as a character, if that's the right word. Mm, it's just too you. much. So you, you think by revealing the background of a character whose appeal is based on his mystique? That Absolutely, 100%. Could, yeah. well, what's interesting about Bond down the years is that he doesn't really change. The people around him have to change. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of like, you know, he's the sort of the lodestar. Nothing changes. He doesn't develop as a character. He's full of mystique and his morals are dubious, etc. You don't necessarily need to like him to, for it to work. Mm-hmm. And now it's asking you to empathise and relate. It's a whole different proposition for the audience. But it's not a new thing. I mean, the Connery and Moorabonds, generally speaking, couldn't give a shit about what they were doing. They were just, oh, am I in a nice place? Yes. Do I get to sleep with the pretty women? Yes, I do. Do I get to kill the bad man? Excellent. It's a good day at the office. What am I actually fighting for? I don't care. <laughs> no, he does. He does. He, Who does? Bond does. Bond does. Yeah. No. They're he just, fight, they're he fights for a, queen and country. What That's what he does. They're just having a great time. <laughs> They're just having a great time on the taxpayers' money, and they're loving it. And I think the personal element for Bond really came in with Dalton. I mean, it's probably yeah. there's a few, but that's what I think Dalton's films get right is that is it's just a hint, really. Yeah, it doesn't go into all this stuff that we got with Skyfall. I mean, obviously, Bond Blovell kills Bond's wife in, on a Majesty's Secret Service, but mm. beyond that, it, you know, it was really hard to find. Mm. You know something in Bond that he would fight for, other than oh, this is just a job, and this is a bad man who has to be killed, and that's what I'm doing. Uh, but obviously, you know, for things like Dalton with Felix Leiter and License to Kill, that's a personal thing, and and for Brosnan, it was quite often personal, and I think that's just been carried on with the Craig movies, but just in a, in a grittier kind of way. Yeah, well, let me ask. Let me phrase it another way. Okay. D- does does the Bond half brother subplot? Or adopted surrogate brother subplot cuckoo thing add anything? No. Or does it subtract? For me, it subtracted. It made me think. I just, you know, it asks you to care about something. It doesn't give, really give you any reason to particularly. It's just a fact, and I don't know why we needed it. I prefer them. Those two characters. It makes the world too small for one thing. I prefer mm. the idea that Spectre's this, you know. The sort of <laughs> mysterious force beyond our understanding, and the more that it demystifies the two yeah. characters, the less sort of less engagement, or put it this way, more stress it puts on the plot to be to be something it wasn't. But that's, I kind of like that motivation, giving Blofeld that motivation, like Mendes just said. You know, with Whitney saying it's kind of almost like he was bullied as a kid, effectively. <sighs> That sort of well, thing. Well, me and my that's, brother that's, would be like plotting. Well, he, he is. I don't, I've got to hate to break it to you. Is uh, he? Yeah. Oh, God. Okay. I, I, I would genuinely like to see uh, flashbacks to Hans Oberhauser because this guy must be something else. He must be truly special because in just two winters being the mentor to James Bond, he uh, successfully birthed the world's greatest spy <laughs> and the world's greatest megalomaniac. Mm. I mean, that guy must be pretty amazing. I want to see him. I want to see a film. I want to see a series about Hans Oberhauser. What do you think, Neil? About what? About this this half-brother stuff. Yeah, it doesn't really work for me. It doesn't uh, do anything or go anywhere. And it's con- it's incredibly convenient that 
just the day after he's looking at a photograph of his brother who he probably hasn't thought about for the last 30 years like literally the next yeah. day he meets <laughs> yeah. him at a funeral and then sees him in the room that's kind of convenient but, but isn't when it? when when uh, blowfelt reveals himself to bond steady <laughs> when he unzips and lets his alter ego flop out <laughs> he knows bond knows that right because he's seen the picture in his room Oberhauser's cleverly decorated the two of their rooms at the at the desert but he doesn't know that he suddenly decided to name himself after his mother. Yeah, he knows he's the head of Spectre at that point. Right. So what difference does it make that he's Blofeld yeah. to anything? Yeah. To it, literally, does it make... The only, pe- the only people it makes any difference to is the audience, because you go, oh, I know Blofeld. But it doesn't make any difference to the film. If you take that scene out, doesn't call himself Blofeld. What difference does it make? It makes... To the fans, I think it's probably a little bit irritating... I've spoken to some people who I work with who don't, they're not as insanely into Bond, weirdly, as I am, and they kind of are openly talking about the whole Blofeld thing as if it's just another kind of plot development, and they don't really care that it that it was teased enormously in the run-up. And I think Sam hinted at this in the um, interview that you did, Chris, that he said when he screened it, that, that first screening to 200 people, and he said, yeah. what, what do you think? And they were all, well, yeah, that's great. But if that had been kind of 200 members of the International James Bond fan club, we might have had a different scenario. I agree, yeah. I agree, entirely. Uh, it, it does... I mean, it's interesting to me how it's... And I've talked about this with, with Mendes in the interview, how it's uh, it's offhand, how it's thrown away. Not in the way that the big reveal on in Star Trek in the Darkness was basically like a massive close-up of... Benedict Cumberbatch as he goes I am Khan which is a name that means literally nothing to anyone he's talking <laughs> to um, and this is kind of yeah. the same but it's thrown away and it's a little bit better but it is a reveal that's very much for the audience mm. it's more for our benefit um, but you're right I don't think that non-Bond fans are going to really be up in arms about this so they'll, they'll probably go I also don't think they're going to find it very interesting I, yeah I've heard of Blofeld yeah okay Blofeld. I'll accept him as Blofeld yeah why not I think when he said Ernst, there should have been like a, a fanfare, like a burp, and then then, 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 should have, then it should have, then it should have, yeah, the crash zoomed in one, you know, a little bit closer, yep. Stavro, and then it should be another burp, and then crash zoomed in again, <laughs> Blofeld, Brada, Brada, like, yeah. loads of echo, Blofeld, 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 and then he pulled his, <laughs> and then he pulled his face off, and it was Tanner, yeah, and went ta-da. <laughs> well, let's, let's talk about this. I mean, this is <laughs> Christ. We're still in the first question. Yeah, this is. But, uh, we are not getting through these questions. We're not getting Chris. through all eighty-seven these questions, but because uh, a lot of them are repeating things that we're already talking oh, about. But let's talk about Blofeld, and let's talk about specifically Oberhauser as Blofeld, which is something that we had all pegged from the very beginning. To the you know, I remember uh, I was live tweeting the cast announcement from the Empire account back in last December, and. If you go back and look at our tweets from that day, it's full of... And Christoph Waltz has been announced as definitely not Blofeld mm-hmm. and, you know, lots of you know hilarious jokes to that effect. We, we could see it coming back then. And I do wonder, and I didn't get a chance to, to talk to Mendes about this, I do wonder if they had, at any point, cause to waver off that path, knowing that pretty much the world and his wife were waiting for that twist. And then when the twist comes, you're kind of disappointed that it's come because you almost want them to do a double twist I would have loved a double bluff I would have loved that Monica Bellucci turned out to be Blofeld or, yeah. or, or even Andrew Scott you know I, I just think that that would have been slightly cleverer than what actually happened because mm. Sam said in the interview that he didn't expect everybody to immediately go well he's obviously Blofeld isn't he I don't know why 
because yeah. it's kind of obvious. Yeah. But I would have liked to have seen something a little bit cleverer there. We yeah, we were we were going through it can't it can't be that obvious. Mulberry House mm. can't be Blofeld. And uh, as I was beginning to write the feature for Empire it became I I I got a sense more and more that it was gonna be that. But we you know, we were hearing kind of whispers about other twists that it might be Andrew Scott, that it might be you know, there was one weird rumor we'd heard was that Ray Fiennes M might mm. turn out to be because they're retconning the whole thing. Mm. So why we, not retcon it so that he's that he's Blofeld? It wouldn't have made a blind bit of sense, but but there you go. Uh, right, let's move on to another question. This one's from Joe Cunningham, who occasionally writes for Empire. Uh, full disclosure: after seeing some negative reviews of Spectre, I started to read some writers suggesting Craig's Bond had run out of steam, that a change in actor and direction couldn't come soon enough. I'm a Craig fan. My gut reaction was to reject that, but I started thinking about the Bond films that had come later in each actor's run. Has any Bond actor produced their finest Bond movie after their first three outings? Beyond that, is there an argument that every Bond's worst movie was his fourth? Thunderball for Connery, Moonraker for Moore, Die Another Day for Brosnan, and now Spectre for Craig. Should all Bonds be put out to pasture after three movies? I think Spectre proves that wrong straight away. Uh, yep, I agree. <laughs> I agree. So as long as Quantum of Solace exists and there is blood in my smart blood in my veins, <laughs> then no. That, that, yeah, I was thinking about this theory actually because Die Another Day is just awful. Thunderball, I think, is the dullest Bond movie. Mm, I think definitely. that's fair to say. Moonraker? No, Moonraker's not Moore's worst movie. Mm. No. It's pretty no. bad. Yeah. It's no. not a very good Bond movie. No, it, it's a good kind of spy romp in the 70s. Yeah, it's got yeah. some good moments. I think Joe makes a very excellent point, to be honest. I agree with him. I, I don't think that Spectre kind of is a, is a signal that Craig or this style has run out of steam, but um, I do think it would probably be better if they maybe just did three each. and then Three and out. Yeah. Like the great Mackenzie Crook movie. Yeah, I'll get Mackenzie Cooker in to, do, to be Bond. That would be amazing. I would um, exempt Daniel Craig from any criticism. I thought he was really good in this film with 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 the material that he yes. got. Yeah, I, think I he's thought very the, good. if there were any faults in it, it wasn't with him at all. And and I'm very happy to see him again. Um, I know Joe's not talking about Bond performances necessarily more than movies that they exist in, but yeah, I thought Craig did a, did a really good job um, with it. Interesting sort of opening <laughs> character moments where he's just really sarcastic, isn't he? And slightly mm. sort of yeah. arch. I love that. And we kind of yeah. take, we always take it for granted now. When, when Casino Royale came out, everyone was like, oh my God, Daniel Craig is fantastic as James Bond. Isn't he brilliant? And now he's still as good, mm. but we seem to expect more now. And nobody is really picking up on that. And they really should, because he is tremendous in this film. Everything he says and everything he does and the way he says it and does it, his little wry kind of, his way his mouth turns up in one corner is yeah. just... One thing we'll probably get into a bit more detail with the idea of this film tying into the last three Craig Bonds, mm. tying them all together, is that he you feel those films in his performance. Like mm. You feel him carrying that so-called psychic baggage we've talked about. Mm. You know, he's a bit heavy and weighed down, and then he has this relationship, he feels a bit more alive again. He, mod- he mod- modulates his performance really well. There are times when he just feels like a bit of a shell, and there's yeah. other times when the life comes back into the, into the performance. And I, I think he's really, really good. I was never against him as Bond, obviously, from the beginning, but... Craig not Bond.com. Craig definitely Bond. He's done a great job with yeah. it. I, 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 I have to agree. I think he's fantastic in this film. I think uh, I think a few critics say that he's, he doesn't have the lightness of touch required for the film's more comedic moments. I don't think that's true. I think Ooh. I think there's the um the sequ- right in the very beginning yeah. the, the brilliant opening sequence. I don't think Craig, four movies ago, could have sold the landing on the sofa yes. gag. Yeah. But in this movie, he, he sells it perfectly. Yeah, that's not uh, easy to do that, I don't think. Yeah. Really subtle, and he does it really, really well. I yeah. think a lot of work has gone into those moments and those lines, especially after they kind of 
bombed a little bit in Skyfall, those those jokey lines. I think they worked better in Spectre. Um, yeah. Still yeah. not entirely sure whether it's the right way to go. There's a lot of criticisms of this movie, but many of them are along the same lines. I mean, the same criticisms you would level at any of the great, quote-unquote, Connery or Moore Bonds. I mean, the, the plot is just a nonsensical Bond act. Yeah. The difference, though, is that we've had Casino Royale and Skyfall, True. and we've kind of been led to expect something better, let's say. This was a better story than Skyfall, I thought, plot-wise. Hmm. Skyfall was great fun, don't get me wrong. Great fun. But I thought this was a, was a stronger, tighter story. All right, here's another question. This is from Edward Downs. My question for the podcast is, what was Hinks doing on the train before he turned up to interrupt Bond's dinner? <laughs> Why does he wait until dinner to fight him? Is that a good plan? Why not let him finish? No one wants to fight full of food. It's a really long train. Bond is at one end. Hinks got on at the other. Just took him a while to get there. Yeah. Of course, you have to question Blofeld's communication at this point. So he, he wants Bond, presumably, to come to him so he can do his big reveal and then mm. torture Bond and then kill Bond. So... Is Hinks out of control at this point? You know, why is... Yeah, Blofeld has forgotten to tell Hinks that he needs Bond alive. <laughs> yeah. Because Hinks is still going after Bond for the death of Skiara in the opening, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he's... he's there's an error and in also, communication. And also, Hinks is pissed because, you know, he ruined his car. If he turns up, a blo- if Hinks kills Bond and turns up at a Blofeld's... Um, there's the ground, a... There's a That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Lair. Internet cafe. The word impressive lair. Lair, right. Yeah. His lair. His uber lair. And he's got Madeline, and Blofeld goes, Where's Bond? He's, Oh, 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 well, oh, well. Yeah. Yeah. But he did prepare two bedrooms. Yes. No one's supposed to die on that train. Yeah. Why not wait until. Either kill him before the food or after the food. Wait till he gets back to his bedroom. I thought maybe they didn't want to do that in case it was a bit too red granty, mm. you know. So, but I think that, I think this is one of the film's real high points. This fight in the train. I think it's fantastic yeah, and really is. brutal. And I'd, I'd quite like to see Hinks come back, Jaws style. He He'll come back. You think? Yeah. So the the homage to Jaws. Someone made this point on on our FaceTV page that the way he goes is is, is almost a riff on Jaws, the Spielberg Jaws. Okay, with the, with barrels. the barrels. Yeah, um, and uh, unlike Skiara, who you see die off camera, he does or he dies off camera. But then Mendez very much, pretty much says he's still alive, out there somewhere. Well, he, he intimates it. Yeah, if you don't see someone die on screen, they ain't dead. Yeah, apart from Skiara. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, you know, what's the yeah. theory? Don't Thank you. Out of Thank two, you. you're fifty percent. <laughs> the exception that proves the rule. <laughs> There's a funeral for Scarra, right? What are they burying? And where did this body land? I think it landed on some people. I want to see that scene. I want to see a short film. I want to see a series <laughs> of Marvel one-shot type <laughs> films where you see... Because this film didn't really have a lot of what I call man-on-train people. Like those people who are, who are movies for one scene and they don't have a character name. But sometimes they're called man-on-train or woman in square. You know, The security guard that he tells to stay. Yes, that's him, that's, that's but that the best guy you got. doesn't even really have proper line the barman, and stuff. The know. barman in the... the barman the, to an the extent, yeah. Skip out the middleman. Yeah, yeah. The security guard that, uh, at the uh, Spectre meeting in Rome that just kind of lets him in because he's wearing <laughs> the Spectre ring. Even though they know that there's a Spectre ring out there <laughs> that somebody is going to use at some point to infiltrate Spectre, probably. Yeah, but you see, maybe that's what they're, they're counting on. Oh, yeah, I forgot. 
you know. In fact, we so know me. that that's a guy who then tells him that tells Blofeld that he's there. So we're thinking so. that somewhere there's a Mexican sort of social realist drama set yes. around Day of the Dead on the ground. A lot of people celebrating. Suddenly, this body just lands on a group of them. Yeah, for or, no or a series of of you know like a group of drunken British tourists, and then all of a sudden, boom, yeah. dead Italian. Yep, that's possible. Can I, can I make a point that's not really related to anything else here? Sure, when Bond comes back from Mexico and he's going down the river with Basil X, sorry, Tanner, um, and he's explaining that they've built this building, how long is he supposed to have been away for? The one that what's it, where the Nine Eyes project is based, I can't remember what it's called. The uh, Denby's, Denby's News. Centre for CNS, that's right. Security. Yes. Oh, we've, but this has happened. Yeah. Well, they do throw he's those buildings up quite quickly these days. But he's a spy, and he's also probably got internet access. He'd know this, <laughs> wouldn't he? I just, there's a lot of really cumbersome exposition he's early He's been busy on, looking for Sciara. Right. I actually thought that was good. You said he's a spy. I actually thought it was really interesting the way that this film really focused on the fact that he's an assassin. True. Not a spy. He doesn't get described as a spy at all. The spying is, you know, sort mm. of corollary to the assassination game. So I've, I've always preferred thinking of Bond as just, you know, simply a killer as opposed to an information gatherer. He's not a very good spy, let's be honest. <laughs> no, he's never, he never has been. Gets everybody else to do the spying for yeah. him. Basically, get captured. Yeah. Phone money, Penny. Yeah. Can you yeah. just spy on something for me while I do, while I do this? While, while I drive around Rome's picturesque streets, yeah. unbothered by the man empty behind me. streets. Yes. Uh, we'll get onto that. There's another question about that as well. All right, we have a question now from Dejo in the Netherlands. Apologies if I'm absolutely mangling your name. Uh, do you guys think the writers always had in mind that Spectre was behind all the events in the last three films, or was this contrived after the rights to Spectre were returned to the studio? I interviewed the writers on this very subject. <laughs> Purvis and Wade. Purvis, Neil Purvis and Robert Wade. And reading between the lines, I'm going to say no. <laughs> <laughs> reading between the sort of long pauses and chuckle, chuckles, muffled chuckles. Um, I'm going to say this is very much sort of imposed upon them. Yes. yes. I think the way to answer this question is to go and watch Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace and Skyfall and see if anybody's wearing a Spectre ring. Indeed. Mm, good point. Indeed. They're probably not. But, you know, you don't want to go around... James Bond wearing a Spectre ring because he'd, he'd go, ooh, what's that ring? <laughs> you know. Uh, I, I have to say, I think the retcon in here is commendable in t- the attempt to bring it all, all the four films together. It's slightly clumsy. Mm. And the fact that there are literally, they're, they're just making it up as they go along. You know, when, when Blofeld says, I was the author of all your pain, you're going to have to take my word for that, mate. Yeah. Um, because honestly, there's no actual evidence what I would love to have seen in that moment was... Do you remember the Beck video for Devil's Haircut? Yes. Where the the video would freeze frame. The video would freeze frame and it would zoom into the frame and you would see these dark-suited uh, figures who were clearly behind all sorts of shenanigans. And I kind of wanted to see that. I wanted to see flashbacks to Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace and Skyfall mm. where you the, 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 the frame would suddenly freeze and then crash zoom into the frame and you would see Blofeld <laughs> in, the, in the background with his cat stroking it, you know, <laughs> so like Bond's taking, going for a walk, freeze frame, Blofeld, mm. that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. That, that whole retconning was a little bit clumsy. And there's no, you know, when they introduced Quantum, it was obviously because they wanted to do Spectre but they, but yeah. they couldn't yeah. Uh, and then so how do you then uh, how they then explain that Quantum and Spectre are effectively joined up in some way in, mm-hmm. is not very well explained they just rebranded it's like when Marathon became Snickers 
Yeah, or the post office in Consignia. Yeah, yeah. because it was called Quantum in a few territories. Right. But it was Spectre in other territories. They, they, okay. they just had to unify the brand. I didn't realise that, Dan. I apologise. Yeah, that's fine. That's what fine. The, um, this will all be in the special editions okay. of the Daniel Craig Bonds, Along with- which will include CG Spectre rings Good. on the fingers <laughs> of Matt Mickelson. <laughs> A-all. <laughs> what about the uh, Monopolies and Mergers Commission? Surely they don't have something to say about this. Absolutely. You know, evil organisations aren't meant to like, yeah. join yeah. together. You more than one. Yeah, they, 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 you know, the evil organisations work better when there's an element of competition. Mm-hmm. Uh, that also covered off a question by James Turner who asked, what is quantum in relation to Spectre? Uh, yeah. Well, we've answered that. We have answered that one. Yeah, yeah completely uh, and yeah. clearly and succinctly. Yeah. And, uh, and seriously. Yeah. James McCall from Essex says, Hi, how did the movie rank among the Craig movies for you guys? Uh, also, did the CG torture of Bond by Blofeld look really silly to you as it did to me? It was the fourth best Daniel Craig Bond film for me. That is a controversial one. You have just dropped a bombshell, sir. Well, I really like Quantum of Solace. Oh, get out. Uh, wh- this really? is happening more and more, actually. It's kind of in the way of the door, so... There's another one. To- there's that oh, one right there. Fine. You see? You always have two exits. <clears throat> and there's a window. Yeah, I've seen this happening more and more, where people are kind of I outing think- themselves as Quantum of Solace Yeah, fans. you need... The problem with it, obviously, is that it's underwritten because of the writer's strike and so on and so forth. And so you do have to watch it a lot of times. <laughs> Which, which Bond fans will do. I, I completely understand why a casual Bond fan or a non-Bond fan right. wouldn't give a toss about it because it's completely baffling for most of the running time. But if you watch it enough times, you can kind of piece it together. And it's like, it's you rewarding in that way. yourself, basically. Yeah. Is that what you've done? It's like a little Bond jigsaw. Okay. Like a very small one, like a 300-piece yeah. one. And it's got, you know, fantastic mood and atmosphere and David Arnold's music is, the, is his best and Daniel Craig is tremendous in it and... All of those things made me right. And Olga Kurylenko. Yeah. I'm a big fan of her. But this this movie, which is, in, a, in essence, Quantum of Solace, but stretched out by an extra hour, uh, touches many of the same plot points as well. Do mm. uh, you think that's that's not as good? Spectre's not as good as Quantum? Um, I just... I, there are just too many things about Spectre that I did not really get on with, that I was disappointed by, having kind of been led to expect something else from the previous three films. Okay. It's all about expectations, I think. Okay. Uh, Phil and Dan, where would you rank this in the Craigs? Uh, I think I'm really obvious. Uh, I think I can't imagine anyone other than that weirdo sat there would disagree with uh, uh, Casino Royale, Skyfall, Spectre, Quantum. Mm-hmm. I'm agreed. Good, good, good. Uh, so what about in the overall Bond pantheon? Where you put it? Top 10? Top 5? Top 15? Somewhere in the middle. Somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Somewhere in the top 24. <laughs> I didn't notice the CG, the CG torture sequence. It didn't appear CG to me. Maybe I'm too innocent. I thought yeah. it was really good. In fact, I thought it was too good in a way because it looked so excruciating and nasty yeah. and, and, and permanently crippling. Mm-hmm. I, you know, it's almost like he can't. How's he walking away from this? Mm. You know, literally from having had things done to, you know, little things drilling right into his head and stuff. I guess yeah, you the, know, the, his, his coordination was fantastic after that. Yeah, imagine how how good it would have been beforehand. That's just him getting lucky. <laughs> um, very lucky actually, because he shoots the one part of the of the evil underground base that blows the entire thing up. <laughs> but then that's part of your probably part of your your training as an MI6 super mm. agent. You, yeah. you get taught to shoot flammable things. And because you can also the, shoot the one part of a helicopter way off in the distance from a moving speedboat driven by a psychologically he's James imbalanced woman. Bond. That will make it crash. Yeah. 
fair enough. But I think part of the, uh, the, uh, the, the idea there is that the exploding watch goes off and Handley removes Blofeld's eye mm-hmm. uh, just before he gets the, the pivotal needle that will make him go a bit wibbly-bobbly. Question for Q Branch. Yes. Uh, we don't go in for exploding pens anymore because mm-hmm. that's not a thing we do. Mm-hmm. But here's an exploding watch. Yeah. Why mm-hmm. did you change your mind about that? He doesn't really tell him how it works either, does he? He <laughs> sort of makes this kind of vague, vague sort of innuendo about it. Mm. Well, he doesn't tell him how anything works. He just gives just him the car. Half that. <laughs> he goes, oh, well, you know, half of these things don't work, half of these things will work. You know, you'll figure it out in the field. I'm sure nothing bad will happen to you or the three million pound car that we're, we're going to give Although you. Although not his car, to be fair, so no reason why I should tell him how it works. To be fair, to be fair. I will say about the watch that maybe they don't do exploding pens anymore because no one uses pens anymore. <laughs> No one uses watches either. They just look at their phone to see what time it is. I'm using a watch. He's using a watch. I'm using a pen. Dan's using a pen. <laughs> yeah, but Dan's using a pen as a watch. Yeah, which is really stupid. <laughs> right, we have another question. Nathan Elliott asks... Oh, well, it's not even asks. He just says, Day of the Dead scene. Superb. Were all the extras, though, for the Rome car chase and the train fight still in Mexico? <laughs> <laughs> makes a good point. Um, yeah, let's talk, about, let's talk about the opening, which I think, and I said this in the interview with Sam Mendes, I think that's the greatest shot in Bond history, which is not the same necessarily as the greatest image in Bond history. Okay, what's the greatest image in Bond history? Union Jet Parachute. Union Jet Parachute. Oh, okay, fine. Is it better than the Bondola? The what? <laughs> the Bondola. From Moonraker. From Moonraker, coming out of the... Yes. Crossing the piazza. In terms of a, in terms of a statement of confidence... Uh, in the material, I don't think anything in Bond history beats the opening four and a half minutes. It's exactly movie. what I wanted from a new Bond film, is to immediately be hit with something that I had not seen before in Bond, and a kind of tremendous virtuoso tracking shot like that, even though it's not one shot. It, it, it just kind of set it up for me, and I thought, great, we're going to see some incredible stuff here that we haven't seen before. I particularly loved the way he just kind of casually walked across the rooftops right mm. at the edge of the building. It was cool. And Phil, you were really disappointed because it, it doesn't, uh, it's not reference to I Am Cuba. It's not a reference to Soy Cuba, no. No. Unfortunately, you asked that question, didn't you? I did. But it does homage potentially t- the beginning of Touch of Evil, which yep. is an op- opening mm-hmm. rather than a shot in the middle of the film. I liked it very much. And it's very difficult to see where the joins are. I've seen the film twice, and it gets better the second time. It's more and more impressive. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a it's a, it's a great opening sequence. Um, the, the helicopter fight's a little bit green screeny, but obviously has the the massive downer of going straight into Sam Smith's song, which is mm. oh my god. god. I went so to, I went to the loo. But the uh, let's talk about the opening. Let's talk about the title <laughs> sequence. Let's talk about the credits themselves. Can I just tell you a true story about this about the uh, title song? Sam Smith. Tell me, song. tell uh, true guy, false. About whatever. three days ago, a guy was pulled over by the police in Dorset. Uh, because he was using his phone while he was driving and uh, the police fined him £100 and put three points on his licence and they said, what what are you doing on your phone, you idiot? And he said, I was uh, searching YouTube for the Sam Smith Bond song. (laughs) (laughs) So it is now technically illegal to listen to that song. You will be fined by the police if you try to listen to that song. Very, very technically illegal. It should be illegal to to listen to that Bond song. It's dreadful, isn't it? It's not very good. I mean, I, I've really given it a chance, and I thought in context it would actually make some sense. And I quite like the perviness of the of the octopuses uh, draping themselves all over Bond and naked mm. ladies and whatnot. The a lot song of tentacles is, going on. A lot of tentacle action. It's like basically Cthulhu porn. It's it's quite <laughs> it's quite astonishing. But uh, yeah, I really like the the visuals of the title sequence, but. You know, just maybe time the length of the Sam Smith song and find any other song that you like <laughs> and then just play it over the top if you're watching it at home. That would be my advice to you. Okay, we pretty much covered 
everything that people have asked in questions. Uh, some things that people didn't ask in questions. We haven't really talked about Andrew Scott's character, Denby, uh, who is the secondary villain of the film. And as Mendez said there, he at one point was the primary uh, villain of the, of the movie. What did we make of that character and of that thread of the film? Well, I really liked his interactions with M and Bond. And I thought as a kind of secondary character, that was quite good fun. But I didn't really... I didn't really understand the the you know how does somebody get to a point like that and then become become the you know villain's kind of pawn it's presumably Denby and Oberhauser have met at some point and he's mm. it's it's been more of a because they've got all of these kind of conventional business interests don't they Spectre as well so it's become well no they have I mean human trafficking isn't one of them obviously but you know in terms of yeah. they've got interest and they would have Chocolate. he talks about commercial you know, sponsors have helped build this mm-hmm. building that Bond doesn't know about, despite the fact he's only been away for four days. And uh, the, uh, they've, you know, just a traditional sort of investment, I suppose. And then from there, maybe some other things. He's like, I've seen you in Sherlock. I know you can do evil. <laughs> Join me. <laughs> do the same thing again. Basically, exactly the same thing again. I wasn't really a big fan of... I didn't have a problem with his performance particularly. I didn't yeah. really like the character very much and, I, and it felt a bit like Tim it's the same thing that Tim McKinnery did in uh, in Spooks for many years right, that same yeah. role this sort of it just reminded me of Spooks you know that the, 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 the he's a Harry Pierce character yeah. uh, Ray Fiennes yeah yeah and Tim Mc, McKinney is the Mc, McInerney, isn't it? McInerney, exactly. Yeah. Sorry, Captain Darling um, is the guy that does what 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 um, Andrew Scott does in this. Tim Genesis. It's yeah. not something I haven't seen before a lot. I would have preferred him to be that kind of character, like what's Damien Lewis's wife's name? Uh, Helen, Helen McCrory. McCrory. Helen McCrory's character in Skyfall. She's like a kind of spanner in the works, a bit of grit in the system, and she's yeah. like an irritant to everybody yeah. that we like in the film. So I, I, I would have preferred it if he just stayed that kind of thing, rather than then suddenly have this ridiculous villainous uh, mm. thing going on. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of with you on that one. I, I, I feel it's a fine performance. Uh, it's a decent character, but again, it just needed an extra twist, didn't it? Really, because from the very moment he first appears, he looks evil, mm. and he's, you know, it's. it's like he goes, oh well, <laughs> oh well. They, you know, they go to Tokyo to try and do the vote uh, about you know to to get the uh, all the surveillance turned on. And who's who's the holdout? South Africa. And the very next thing, there's a terrorist attack in South Africa. And you're kind of going, you're making it a little bit obvious, Max. Uh, it does lead to the the film's best joke though, when he you know now we know what C stands for. I just mm. wish they hadn't sold it out. Yeah, but you know it's 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 all good. It's all good. Um, and we haven't talked about. Such a huge part of the Bond movies, and I'm surprised we didn't have any questions about them. The the Bond women in this movie. So we have Leia do as Madeline Swan, Monica Bellucci as Lucia Sciarra, and I think it's now fair to say we can include Naomi Harris as, as Eve Moneypenny. Mm-hmm. Um, all interesting to talk about in their own different ways. Let's talk about Monica Bellucci first, because I think this was a bit of a letdown for me. She talked beforehand about how she was a Bond woman, a very strong woman, the first Bond woman to be uh, older than, than Bond. And they've been trying to get Bellucci for years yeah. on, on a Bond film. And yeah. they finally got her. So you think it's going to be a yeah. crackerjack yeah, of a role. Is. She's in it for about three minutes. Mm. And she does everything that a Bond woman tends to do, which is just lose her shit the minute she sees Bond and sleep with him and simper and then literally pout after him and go, oh, James. And I was a bit disappointed by that, that, that role, I'll be honest. Yeah, it was a shame. The lack of screen time and the lack of impact. I would like to say something that <laughs> turns it into a debate, but I completely agree with you, Chris. Yeah. He was it was just a, a minor role. 
Yeah. You know? For a major, uh, for a major she, actress. Yeah. She she serviced the plot. Serviced Bond. <laughs> I quite I quite liked it though. I mean it, it yeah, turn up at the funeral, oh my husband. Oh, I'm so I'm so so sad about my husband. Hey, hello. <laughs> it's the Prince Regent in Blackadder, isn't it? I'll <laughs> never forget you. Right, what's for breakfast? <laughs> oh it's Bond, yum. Um I quite I thought she, I quite enjoyed it. I wish she'd had more to do, but I quite enjoyed. She brought a real elegance to it. The whole sequence was beautifully shot in the villa. Mm-hmm. A little bit of a, you know, like bonded into the world of the oh, that mafia. Was that was a, that was my second favorite shot in the film. Very elegant, yeah. very ornate, decorative bit of the film, which I really, I really like. But yeah, I wish she'd had a bit more to do. Yeah, Bond swipes left on her very, very quickly. <laughs> it has to be said. Well, he, I mean, he's trying to look after, isn't he? He's trying to. He, he's doing a bit more than Bond would normally do. He's making sure that she's going to be okay. Yeah. You don't know if she is, or whether he's just like pretended to call Felix. To get it, get around. <laughs> yeah, let me just. Yes, good. Okay, Felix. Bye. There was a lot of criticism uh, of the last movie about how Severine was dispatched really callously, and you know, Berenice Marlowe had much more screen time and a much more of an impact there. And you can almost feel like they're working against that. We're not going to kill off because the secondary Bond girl, by and large, tends to die. Mm. By and large, not always. Um, but pretty much ex- exclusively in the, in the Craig films, if, I, if I'm right in thinking. There's the, the gangster's mold at the beginning of Casino Royale. She, she ends up dead. There's Strawberry Fields and Quantum. She ends up yeah. dead. And Severine in, in, uh, in Skyfall ends up dead. So this is the first secondary Bond girl, uh, which is a terrible phrase, but there you go, um, who doesn't wind up dead. And they might perhaps go out of their way to make that happen. But I, I actually would have liked to see Monica Bellucci pop back up yeah, into the sure. film later on with Jeffrey Wright. Why not? Bring Felix Slider yeah. back. Let's and have a big party. Pinks. And Jules. <laughs> and they all dance and there's a big musical number at the end. You realise that Bond is dying and this is his <laughs> this is his last thoughts. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. Uh what about Madeline? What do we think of Leia Sadu and I that thought, character? Yeah, I like that character and, and Leia Sadu's a terrific actress and um I thought it was interesting, although as you've already said, uh, you know, not dissimilar to characters in previous Bond films. Um, but she does it very well. I just thought it was a bit of a shame that she is so kind of antagonistic towards Bond for her first few scenes. Mm. And then literally, in a cut from one scene to another, she is suddenly <laughs> all over him. Like, there's the train sequence where he's showing her how to use the gun, although she doesn't need to know how to use the gun. And she's pissed off with him because he's a twat and so on and so forth. <laughs> and then, cut, sexy dinner scene, dress, tux, etc. Ah, oh, James. Oh, why are you looking at me like that? That's an actual line. Mm. Yeah, delivered exactly like that. Yeah, yeah, but there's little hints maybe that she's attracted to him from the off. But she, she knows, she knows who he is. She knows what sort of man he is, <laughs> sort of crap he gets up to. So she's she, she's worried about letting him into her into her world, so to speak. I know. I'm not sure that I that I bought the whole kind of love between them. It was underwritten. Mm. I was also slightly. Not uncomfortable, but on the way to uncomfortable with the way that the whole thing's set up. You know, Bond's been there when her dad's dead, and it's all filtered through the lens of the grief for her father. And then Bond, it's a bit similar to what happens in with Severine when he's she's talking about her childhood, and then the next minute he's just got in the shower with her. Um, I, I don't know. I just it, it sort of yeah, it kind yeah. of exaggerated the age difference a little bit for me. I well, know, from from Craig to yeah to Sedu yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Just for me, anyway. My main problem with with um, Madeline 
and it extends to Moneypenny as well, is that as the movie progresses, they get less and less to do. There are scenes towards the end, and correct me if I'm wrong here, where Moneypenny, for example, is in scenes with Ray Fiennes, uh, who, again, I think is very good as M. And, and Naomi Harris is very, very good as Moneypenny. But there are entire scenes towards the end where she's got nothing to do, no dialogue. And it's just basically standing there purely as an extension of M. And that doesn't feel right to me. It feels like more work could have gone into that. They, they go to a lot of... to great lengths at the beginning of the movie to kind of set her up as this ally of Bond. And I really like the scene where she goes to Bond's apartment you know, and you get that sense of sexual tension between the two of them, and there's a you know will they won't they or or how or have they mm. moment, and then you realise that actually no, the reason that she doesn't respond to Bond's charms is because she's in a loving relationship, not with Andrew Scott, mm. as I think a lot of people thought, um, but with someone else whose face is just never seen for 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 whatever reason. And I think that the first half of the movie really utilises Money Penny, and the second half doesn't, and that's a that's a shame for me. And and indeed. Madeline becomes a, just a decoration towards the end. Uh, a damsel in distress to be rescued, and that's that's uh, that's a, that's very sad from my point of view. But otherwise, first first half of the movie, uh, although Madeline doesn't turn up for the first hour, uh, very effective characterization. The problem with all Bond girls in the Craig era is that they're going up against Vesper Lind. They're going mm. up against the shadow of Eva Green. That's a big shadow. Yeah, um, which uh, makes you wonder why you would write a scene on a train like that yeah. across the table. When there's already been one, because you've no, you, but it's all but deliberate nods, isn't it? That's a, that's a deliberate nod to Casino Royale, as followed immediately by a train it's, fight. It's a dangerous thing to do, though, isn't it? When the predecessor has been so good. Yeah, yeah. But I actually quite like that scene in the yeah. train, and I really like the fight scene. Uh, one last quick shout out to Q Ben Wishaw. Um, I've seen a lot of people say as the MVP for this movie, uh, or QVP, or QVC, or something. <laughs> I'm, I get confused, but uh, he's great, isn't he? He's been he's really good. Yeah, no, it's good to see him get out and about mm-hmm. uh, properly and have his own little bit of spy action. Yeah. <laughs> Basically, he just like ran off and went through a door. I would like to and know... That, that was that. It was kind of like, you know, like the crappiest henchman ever. It's like, where could he go? Where is, where is he gone? There's a closed door there. I'll ignore that. He must Let's have go gone over invisible. Here. Yes. <laughs> so... But you know, uh, yeah, there, there, there was there was that the gen, genuine sort of tension and, and sense of jeopardy there. Where it's like, oh my god, you know, yeah. Q, Q's in the shit. I do like to see Bond and his kind of MI6 people kind of getting on and having fun times together. That's good. Mm-hmm. I like that. Although I would like to know how Q got to Austria because in Skyfall, Money Penny says, <laughs> you're "What are you laughing at? You're such this, a is Q really, this is really, really important. Are. This is really important." Money Penny says in Skyfall, "Q's afraid to fly. That's why she went to uh, Shanghai." Yeah. Uh, so how does he get to Austria? It's a matter of life so and death. Quickly? It's a matter of life. And I death. think it, there's a scene missing. There's a deleted scene which is very A Team esque, where he is given <laughs> some milk to drink, and <laughs> passes out, and then he wakes up really cross. He drinks some smart milk. That's right. <laughs> so, or alternatively, let's plot this out. He could have taken the Eurostar. Does it go all the way to Austria? No. He goes to uh, goes to Brussels, right? So from there, it's just uh, a short walk. A, a hop and a skip. Yeah, yeah that's right. Let's, look, at, let's, let's look it up. How long does it take? <laughs> look it up. How Hopefully. long does it take to get from London to, where is it, in Austria? Obertiliac. Uh, Obertiliac yeah. by train. Long time. Let's not do it that. It took a while to fly. It's three mm. hours drive from Innsbruck. And mm. it takes like an hour and a half bit to okay. fly to Innsbruck. So He was, he was into railing. Okay. <laughs> he looks like a bit of a backpacker, yeah, doesn't exactly. he? Okay. 
Sorry for bringing that up. No, 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 no. no it's it's good. I love it. I love it. The two one, the two major things you've talked about have been why did Q fly? He can't possibly fly. And uh, why did Q give him a watch when he didn't give him an exploding pen last time? Yeah. He's such a Q nerd. Bloody Q. Oh, <laughs> I love him. I do love him. Uh, one last thing before we wrap it up. Where does this leave the franchise? And can you talk about who you'd want to see direct and star in the next movie if it's not Craig and Mendes? You're the ideal director-star combination for Bond 25. Because it's going to be a big one. Bond 25, quarter of a century. Christopher Nolan, Tom Hardy. (laughs) (laughs) Silly Dan. (laughs) All right, okay. I mean it. Interesting. No, I know you mean it. I know you mean it. I think Tom Hardy could do it. I think he would be brilliant at it. I'm not sure whether he wants to. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said he does. I think. Well, right, there you go. Let's do it. Let's get him on the phone. I think Henry Cavill might be quite good. I think he's, there's more to him than we've seen. I really like him as Napoleon Solo. I think he could turn because that's he's kind of not Bond there. Mm. But he's Bond, but not Bond. But I think yeah. he could be Bond. Yeah. But I don't really have a particular favourite actor that I would really want to do it. But I would really like to see Denis Villeneuve direct a Bond film. I think Interesting. He would be tremendous. Ooh, that's, yeah, that's good. Interesting. Nev Pierce of this parish is constantly banging on about Catherine Bigelow, who would be great, but, yeah. but I'm not sure that she would do it. Although the door is open now to A-list directors, because, you know, there's the thing about Bond, they never really had, like, a big-name director until Sam Mendes popular. It would probably have to get quite political, wouldn't it? Which is not necessarily a bad thing. No, Point Break's not that political. <laughs> It was a while ago, in fairness. In fairness, yeah. Yeah, but that'd be quite cool. Phil, who, who's your ideal well, combination? I came out of um, Inception thinking that Tom Hardy would be a great Bond. And mm. I still think that. Interesting. Um, you go, Neil go has talked me around a bit to Henry Cavill. I'm like Henry the Cavill layers to of, of not of having an opinion <laughs> about this. Because about two minutes ago, I was like, no way, Henry Cavill. And now I'm like, yeah. Actually, uh, Henry Cavill, I can really see yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Not in the sense that we're going to end up sleeping together. None of that. Oh. Just in this, sorry, Neil. But just uh, director-wise, I don't know. Somebody mentioned Matthew Vaughan, didn't they? Because of the, well, because of many reasons, I suppose. Mm. The layer cake connection is always fun. And well, he came, he came close. Matthew yes, Vaughan to yes. Uh, Casino Royale. Yes, right. So close, he thought he was doing it for twenty-four hours. Hmm. Was that like? But he's made his Bond film, and he's about to make another one. Mm. And he's made his Bond film, where you get to explode people's heads and do bum sex jokes. So I don't mm. think he'd be interested in doing proper Bond. No. But he would be a good, a good shout. For me, I don't see how you look beyond Mike Lee and Timothy Spall. <laughs> is that the end of the podcast? That's the end of the podcast. <laughs> uh, that is it for this very special Spectre Sporter. But you notice how I actually didn't put anyone forward there. Very cleverly absolved myself of any blame. Although I'd say he's probably, I don't know, is he getting on a bit now? But... Um, Norris McWhorter no uh, he's also dead uh, Michael Fassbender I, go, I, I saw X-Men First Class and I was like that's his Bond audition right yeah. there you know when he's walking around at the beginning being all smooth and suave and killing people also in uh, Steven Soderbergh's Haywire he's really good in there he is quite Bondy in that yeah, it's a good, very good fight scene yeah I think he's probably had enough by now of potentially wanting to be Bond okay. I think he's passed it uh, it is time to say goodbye to this very special Spectre Spoiler podcast. The regular podcast is out every Friday. If you don't already listen to it, please do. If this has persuaded you to listen to the podcast, my God. Uh, our next Spoiler special will be um, an epic, nearly three-hour-long interview with Christopher McQuarrie, uh, director of Mission Impossible Rogue Nation, uh, which is essential if you 
want to know anything about screenwriting and how to make movies it is an amazing interview so check in uh, for that one that'll be up early December and then after that our next spoiler special will probably be something about a Star War does that ring a bell with anyone? Oh The Phantom Menace The Phantom Menace that's the one uh, until then it is a goodbye from our Bondians Neil goodbye Phil goodbye Mr Bond <laughs> Dan farewell and it's goodbye for me because my exploding watch has just told me I need a smart blood transfusion see you next time thanks bye